0: Thanks for listening to Sex with Emily. On today's show, I'm hosting pelvic floor physical therapist Heather Jeffco to talk about the importance of pelvic floor health for men, for women, for everyone. We also talk about sex after having kids, painful sex and ways to get around it, and why kegels aren't for everyone. All this and more. Thanks for listening. I went over to my best girlfriend's house to cheer her up after a recent breakup. Of course, I bought her a care package that I thought would do the trick. And not to brag, but I nailed it. I hadn't seen her that excited since prom. See, I'm pretty gifted at gifting pleasure, but the combination of the magic wand rechargeable and a pint of ice cream had her this close to forgetting about her heartache. She had no idea that the magic wand was now unleashed from its cord. She couldn't believe it had four intensity levels, four new vibration patterns, the same mind-blowing power as the original, and can easily be used in any room of the house. And hey, she can even throw it in her bag on her next date, when she's ready, of course. And get this, I haven't heard from her since. So I think the two of them will be very happy together. But let's be honest, who wouldn't? The magic wand rechargeable is the sure thing. To get yours, just go to magicwandemily.com or click the banner on my website today.
1: Look into his eyes. They're the eyes of a man obsessed by sex. Eyes that mock our sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them. In a-
0: You're listening to Sex with Emily. We're talking about sex, relationships, and everything in between. For more information, go to sexwithemily.com. You can subscribe to our podcast, our newsletter. And as far as social media, we are at Sex with Emily on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the places that you are scrolling. I'm there to answer your questions, to entertain you, to help you have better sex and relationships. I'm really excited for our guest today, Heather Jeffcoat. She's the author of Sex Without Pain, A Self-Treatment Guide to the Sex Life You Deserve and a recognized expert in the field of pelvic health physical therapy. She's She's a physical therapist and specializing in pelvic floor health. And I'm so excited you're here because, God, we have a lot of questions for you. We've never had a physical therapist specializing in pelvic floor health here. I mean, we know so many women suffer from pain, pelvic floor pain, pain during sex, and I feel like you are going to be the answer here for so many women and men who are dealing with pelvic floor issues. So welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is, I mean, we are just, we are all like, oh my God, we have so many questions. So I would like to hear your story on how you get into pelvic floor health.
2: So my backstory goes like this, where I went to physical therapy school uh, so many years ago. I was at Duke University, and they have a lot of lectures, a lot of sort of advanced opportunities for you to explore what they used to call women's health at the time uh, within your curriculum. And I think at the time it was really one of the few physical therapy schools that had that in their curriculum. I had knew nothing about it when I first started PT school. I thought I wanted to do pediatrics or sports medicine. And you just kind of get all this exposure and you realize, well, this is a really underserved population. And, uh, you know, beyond that, you can spend so much time with them. This isn't a population where you can be really like rushed into you know your treatments and you can't have like three people in an hour and you know just make it feel so much like a mill like so much of what physical therapy has become it really also provided me the opportunity to be one-on-one with patients in the way that I desired to be with them which is to truly help them one-on-one and not pass them off to unlicensed providers to do what should be skilled clinical
0: interventions. Why do you think it is so underserved and misunderstood, pelvic floor health?
2: I think it's it's that muscle that you don't learn a lot about in most people in PT school or in medical school. It's kind of, it's just there and you might like cut through it to do surgery, but nobody really is studying the function of it. And so it's just, it's not understood. And, you know, you think about what its functions are, which are to support bowels and bladder and uh, sexual function. People don't want to talk about any of those things. None of those things. It makes.
0: I guess it makes sense. And this we're talking about for men and for women. But most of your clients are women, correct?
2: Yeah, the majority in my practice um, I see are women, mostly with uh,
0: sexual dysfunction. Okay, so let's talk about that because you know it's been widely studied and known that that. And I talk about this on the show a lot. Eighty percent of women experience some kind of pain during sex, during intercourse, or anything relating to sex in their life. Some women all the time. Some women just you know. Here and there in their life, but women will experience pain. I want to ask you questions about vaginismus and um, vulvodynia, and just all these misunderstood things about women that I just think that it's amazing the work you're doing to help them. They just don't know where to go, or they go to their gynecologist, which I think is like our one-stop shop for the vagina, vulva, all pelvic floor, which it should not be.
2: So right, and yes. so in med school, first of all, there's very little. Talk about pelvic floor things. I know I'm married to a physician, so i asked him personally, How much did they talk about the pelvic floor? Not much. Um, it's like one day so, before lunch. <laughs> probably. Yeah. It's like a one hour lecture. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, they're, they're covering so much in four years of med school. So you're really supposed to learn these things when you go into residency. And they, so these would be the OBGYNs, right? They're, or, or the urologists, too, because I do a lot of urologic pain things, which also feed into sexual pain as well. And these, um, but we'll talk about OBGYNs, for example. They they're they're going to school to learn to deliver babies safely, to keep women uh, safe during their pregnancy, to make sure that the babies are born you know safe, that everybody's safe during that time period, and then to help with um, you know vulvo vaginal health. But they're not they're, they're swabbing right. They're looking for infections. That's that's kind of what their training is. They're not looking for contributors to pain if it's not related to an infection. Right. So, you know, they, they don't understand the musculoskeletal system and how that can contribute to pain. Those are not the the experts for that. But there are muscles there that can contribute to pain and can affect bowel and bladder function and, um, and sexual function. Right. So... You know, but but they just don't have that level of training. And so you just hope maybe they're in a good residency program that that is a part of their training, but a lot of them go through. and they they're they're just looking for like, swab this. Right. Oh, well, it's negative. So I don't know why you have pain. <sighs> oh, it must be in your head. You must go oh. need to see a psychologist because all my tests show you don't have pain.
0: Oh, so, all these women aren't <laughs> psychologists unless they know to come see a pelvic floor specialist. Yeah, a lot you?
2: of Googling to, to diagnose themselves. I mean, I
0: didn't even really know about this specialty until a few years ago, until I just started, you know, meeting and doing this work. And it seems like it's becoming more and more common, but your name has always come up. So, that's why I'm thrilled that you're here. So, tell me about a typical patient that comes to you, if there is a typical one. She's experiencing pain. The doctor says nothing. Oh, it's in your head. And then what yeah, happens? So So, the more classic, Typical,
2: I could say, would be someone with vaginismus, for example, or vulvodynia. Let's and talk about what
0: those are because they come up a lot. But let's kind of break it down for they, people. They
2: do, and a lot of physicians still misuse them. So, you know, vulvodynia, by definition, is vulvar pain, and there's different subtypes you can have provoked or unprovoked. So that just means that uh, provoked means that it it only hurts if something comes in contact with the area. Unprovoked is it kind of it's just irritated hurts all the time. Like these are the women that end up like they can't wear. Pants, and then all of a sudden now they can't even wear underwear, and they're they're like I know when they walk in the office because they're wearing a skirt and they don't have any underwear underneath because anything up against <sighs> their um, vulvar region causes discomfort, and forget about trying to have sex because they're already in so much con- uh, like constant pain at baseline. Right. So um so that would be one subset. Vaginismus is vaginal muscle guarding. So um and that, really these are just descriptions of pain. They don't really say why is the pain there, and that's our goal in the evaluation is to determine what could be driving that pain. So typically these women, um, let's just kind of go back, for me the simplest thing out of any of it is vaginismus. It only hurts if they try to have sex or put a tampon in if it's Mm -hmm. really severe. And, um, you know, I ask their history to start off, and then I do a two-part physical examination to try to determine what could be driving it, because it's just not all about what's happening External? around the va- you vagina. Yeah, right, okay. So, so the the first part is more of like a general orthopedic exam, mm-hmm. where I'm looking at their posture and muscle imbalances with strength and flexibility, um, like abnormal tissue tension externally, like in the vulva region, uh, because some some things can drive their pelvic pain. Like, why Why are they having pain? Why do the muscles get overactive or right. tight or short, however you want to call that? Um, there could be some things with their posture. It or, could be
0: posture, right? That's a lot. The yeah. way we
2: walk, the way we, like, over- Yes, or, 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 or sit too long, or um, doing too much Pilates, like, <sighs> over-recruitment, making right. muscles, you know, just not you know, muscles need to be able to contract, but they also need to be able to relax is a very important concept when we're getting in more to talking specifically about the pelvic floor. Um, so, you know, one major thing um, that I look at too is like their muscle imbalances and strength and flexibility. So can, do they have the ability to lift their leg up and keep their pelvis stable, for example. And most of my patients classically cannot do that. They're they're very weak in their ability to stabilize their core. So that's a kind of red flag for me and other things that would need to be worked on eventually. Right. And then the second part of the physical exam is a pelvic floor muscle exam. Okay. So that would be one gloved lubricated finger intravaginally and to determine if they have like sort of a high state of like guarding or tightness or shortness in the muscle. muscle. um, Can they contract it? Can they relax it? Does it hurt when I try to stretch it? I also am looking inside for trigger points because those are muscles, right? Just like you can get trigger points in any muscle in your body, the pelvic floor is not immune to that pathology. So looking for trigger points and how their body responds if I try to do a trigger point release. So it's, it's very like methodical and how I go around and identify that. And,
0: um, it's like a pelvic floor massage. Do you do that? And you can kind of really Isn't like, isn't there certain traumas that can get stuck in there? Like I have friends who have sexological body workers, and they, you know, I know there's a lot of different kinds of ways to go about this. But they, they've said that there's stuff you could have a tampon that hurts. You know, you put in when you're like 13, and it right, and, per- that, and then you could release that pain. And or yeah,
2: that- well, there are so many. Um, different reasons someone might have vaginismus. So in their history, it could be a trauma, but a trauma doesn't mean that there was sexual abuse necessarily. It could be like a traumatic first pap smear or, um, a traumatic, just first attempted at intercourse. If they, there's a lot of variations in hymen. Yeah. So, someone may have very thick hymen and it can be very painful. So, it can just be that experience of pain with that first contact. Um, and beyond it being thick, there's anatomical variations wow. called like uh, septate, where it's sort of like really thick but with holes poked in it, but it's like a really thick membrane or um, imperforate or, uh, you know, just. <sighs> Different presentations that can create a lot of pain, and when you experience pain in that area, you get muscle guarding. You know, other things could be like muscle knees. guarding,
0: meaning they're like tense. They're sort of building up this wall around it. They yes. sort of have built a system for dealing with it, so they're tensing up. And yes. the way they're it's, now it's growing, I guess, or the way things are shaping over time from having to overcompensate for. In a okay. sense,
2: um, uh, when you experience pain anywhere in your body, what does your body do? What do the muscles do around it? They they contract. Right. They, they guard. They, Guarding, um, yeah. They, they're trying to protect that area. So I use a lot of orthopedic examples to help normalize it for patients that this is really just a muscle that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. We're not dealing with... Um, anything weird. It just is in an area you're not used to talking about and people aren't used to really evaluating or or thinking about. But, you know, take the example of somebody that herniates their disc. Um, With a disc herniation, you don't damage the muscle. It's a disc protrusion out of, like, its anatomical location, pinching on a nerve, creating pain. But you always have muscle guarding around that. But the person didn't injure the muscle. But the muscle, it now does need to be treated because it is reacting to the injury and you can't just you know treat the herniated disc without the associated muscle compensations. exactly that, that went through that and so you know it so it could be a trauma it could be uh, a urinary tract infection a yeast infection even one most typically my female patients have this like chron- chronicity like okay. multiple urinary tract infections in their history um, but uh, it could just be one just one time of one pain, time in their
0: life something happened and that. They-
2: yeah, or maybe they fell. Like I've had patients where like they, like nothing, they can't remember any infections right. or any trauma, but they're like, but I did like fall, snowboarding (laughs) uh, really hard on my tailbone when I was 14, but they weren't sexually active. So the first time they tried to have sex when they were 19, they had a lot of pain. And so maybe that was it. And, you know, when you fall on your tailbone, you have lots of muscle, pelvic floor muscles back there that are attaching to your coccyx. And I fall
0: all the time. Who knows what it's from? How do you even remember that? It's amazing what you can unearth because yeah, clearly our gynecologists, you know, I I feel like there's just so much more that I've been learning in my listeners who are following along that you just can't, we mostly go to the gynecologist when we think of sexual health. We're like, yeah, I go once a year. I get my Pap smear. I get tested for STDs, and that's where we stop. But like, there's this like this this no go zone or this this misunderstood zone called our pelvic floor, <laughs> which is so freaking important. It's like where all the magic happens. It's why women can't have orgasms or have pain mm. or trauma, um, or even in their heads around sex. And it's like you are. I can't even imagine what goes on in your office. What you might be releasing in there with all the power and energy that women store in there, it's
2: right? And pretty amazing. And for me, vaginismus, I would say, is like the simplest diagnosis. And when I first started, that was I was like, oh man, oh, man, no, someone with vaginismus. Like, what am I going to do? Because it was it used to be so hard for me until yeah. I figured it out, and now it's like so easy. Like for me, vaginismus. You can just fi- and
0: what do you, you do? What do you do then? You do this series of exercises. Yeah. How do you?
2: Yeah. So, so for example, um, so as I'm evaluating them, if if they are able to do an internal, internal vaginal muscle exam that first visit then as I'm treating them or as I'm evaluating them I should say I'm also treating them and then I'm talking to them about how they can try to do what I'm doing but at home to try to help build on their therapy sessions so that they always have a home program right. and the tool that they're typically using is called a dilator okay and specifically um, if they have vaginismus usually they get a full kit of which it starts a small size usually the size of a tampon and then it gets progressively larger this is what I've
0: heard so it's a dilator, they take it home. I mean, this is also in your book, or I just saw that your book is like, I feel like everyone could do these kind of stretches and these exercises in sex without pain, but you send them home with a dilator and it builds up. There's different sizes and they just kind of practice inserting it. Yeah, so
2: so I teach them, um, you know, you had mentioned like intravaginal massage or I forget what phrase you used, but there's, you know, I'm taking massage principles and applying them to the pelvic floor, but it's, I wouldn't tell people that I'm like doing intravaginal massage necessarily. You know, like it's- People wouldn't
0: come. Yeah, but then, no, because <laughs> they'd be people like, might, but not no, the people I w- see. exactly. Like, they'd be like, oh no, I'm already afraid of that. That's yeah. weird. But it's like, it's so. I feel like it's. I feel like if you have any woman in your office, there's probably something to release. There's probably something off. Maybe a little bit with our pelvic floor.
2: Right. With with most women, yeah. I think so. Because in, even if they don't have painful sex, like if they're peeing like more than eight times a day, like. People, they're like, oh, that's the way it's always been since I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, but that's not well, normal. But what could that be? Hi- high tone. Uh, well, I wouldn't say high tone. Like overactive pelvic floor muscles. <sighs> um, like that—that that is the root of a lot of these problems are muscles that are over-recruited, um, just not allowing like a good relaxation, constantly stimulating maybe nerves in the area. So they can get all sorts of what... Uh, primary care practitioners or OB/GYNs might think of like, oh, that's weird. Like maybe they go yeah. psychology, like persistent general arousal disorder, for example.
0: Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's like a crazy maker for patients. And it's so sad because it is a um, overactive pelvic floor issue. They basically have a spontaneous orgasm. I've heard about this, right? Yes. And, um, and it it really, it, they withdraw socially because they don't know, can (laughs) can they go to a movie with their friends? Because if they have an orgasm in the middle of a quiet scene, like they can't,
0: (laughs) right? what do you do? Right.
2: And and so it's, it's heartbreaking for me because it's something that can be treated. And it's not just with, um, with the manual, like hands-on therapy that we do. There's other modalities that we can use to help like calm, like the nervous system and, and the pain, because they're very anxious and that anxiety also um, can help ramp up their pain. And you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about that study that I came right. across on anxiety and yeah, women, ta- and, um, and this was not related to sexual function in any way, it was just looking at muscle activity in women with anxiety, and that the first muscle that becomes like uh, engaged and when one when becomes anxious is their pelvic floor. And so if you're already having problems in your pelvic floor and now your pelvic floor is getting more engaged and it's just going to make your problems worse and then you just get into this feedback loop. I think that's, loop.
0: that's fascinating to me because I feel like, first of all, who doesn't have anxiety? Raise your hand. And then the fact that women are contracting those. I mean, I, I feel like I, it's like that holding my breath thing. Like I feel like I, I try to breathe through my pelvic floor, but I think that a lot of people do that as well. And then I think that also contributes to Tell me if you agree with this, that why a lot of women just kind of feel numb. Like maybe just generalize they don't have desire or they think, you know, and they don't.
2: Well, if they have pain, for sure, because it's a deterrent. Like why would you want to go do something that hurts you? And, you know, when you're in a relationship, it really can affect that. And this, then the partner will start to take that, you know, personally in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen many patients going through divorces where one of these primary drivers was this just constant sexual you know issues like they couldn't have sex or you know she would right. know, always push him away and you know when you push someone away I've seen with lots of patients and they've talked to me about it when you have pain you're not just pushing away for sex you're pushing away for a lot of things yeah. because you're kind of always afraid if you show a little bit too much like a, you know adoration or something then, that, then they might be like oh she's excited and now we can have sex so they kind of like shut they down just shut down all together
0: not just in the bedroom yeah I, they don't know how to lot. explain what they want so they're just like nothing because it's painful and
2: yes and and so I do encourage my patients to explore non-painful ways to be intimate and you know I'm somewhat limited I, I have more experience just because I've been doing this a long time but I'll refer to local uh, like sex therapists um, to help them work through you know, may non-touch or just non-penetrative intimate
0: goals right it doesn't have to just be right exactly the get them back on board exactly, exactly. get them back in touch because we talked about um vaginismus, we talked about the dilation, the dilators. So we right. would go home with that. Just going back to that. So that would be one part of it, or that would be the part of it that would help them get comfortable again with insertion.
2: That would be one of their like primary core home program tools. Okay. Uh, definitely. And then you know beyond that, then we're addressing some of these other contributing factors that we found like with core stability because like why are their muscles gripping you know so some people can slip and fall in their tailbone and they're fine but then why do other people just persist in this cycle of pain or muscle guarding and it's because different things are driving it so maybe one person was a little bit stronger going into their fall than the other person right. so that weaker person okay. just needs needs more care after um, so but yes the dilators are the primary goal and i would say the dilators are 80% of getting them better, and so, you know, in my book, when I talk about the dilators, I talk about different techniques that are pulled, not just massage techniques, but also, like, some neuromuscular stretching techniques, way to stretch the muscle, uh, which is a better way um, to stretch than, you know, maybe just, like, inserting the dilator, Mm -hmm. which is instructions that come on a box of dilators, if you buy them, like, insert and hold it for 10 minutes, and, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm a physical therapist, I don't hold stretches for 10 minutes, and... Part of that is trying to desensitize, but a lot of the like truly vaginismus patients, it's not like an oversensitivity. It's not like the nerves over firing. It truly is like a state of the muscle that needs to be physically manipulated and stretched and massaged. And so, so I go through like a program that's you know outlined like step one, step two, step three, step four, et cetera. And then also, how do you progress from one size to the next? Because you can't just stretch with a tampon size and then go home and try to have sex with your husband who's you know, right. maybe the largest <laughs> guy out there. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's a kit that gets gradually larger. The kit that I use in my office is good for, um like i'd say 90% of my okay. patients and then i do sell individually two sizes larger which covers most people by that point okay. um and then you know and if anything about- some, something bigger than that then i send them to a sex shop and i might like, just try to find try to like a vibrator, dildo or a right. vibrator that's that's larger that, cuz that's the biggest dilator i'm aware of right <laughs> so. okay
0: now what about using i know you use the in control also how do you work, use it with your patients?
2: Yeah, so um, Control has a, a lot of products. And so I use their, uh, their incontinence line, the um, Intone and the Apex M. I'm a huge fan of for incontinence. And then for sexual function, I do... Use the intensity, I recommend the intensity to patients, but not for patients early on that are having no. sexual pain. Not
0: for pain. No, because not for pain. Because the, for incontinence yeah.
2: Because the intensity has both that vibration function and the muscle stem function. So for someone with pain I'm not wanting to stimulate their muscles. They're already having these issues with over-recruitment, most likely, of the pelvic floor, right? right? Sort of under-recruitment of their proper core stabilizers and over-recruitment of their pelvic floor. So I always like to describe to them, I'm like, it's like your pelvic floor is holding on for your life inside your pelvis, trying to do all the work because your larger muscle groups on the outside are not doing what they're supposed to do. So I definitely don't want them using the intensity right. to try to cure that sexual dysfunction um, because of the pain and anybody with pain or, right. or like even Don't urinary do your pedals. I was telling you that
0: sometimes I said I don't remember what it was, but like you can't. If not everyone can do kettles. I'm like, I'm like, I know there's other. There's other. There's many times you shouldn't do kettles,
1: right? So and that would
2: under- be one of that would be one of the instances um, because um, the the muscle stem contracts the muscle or creates that muscle contraction. It facilitates it. And so it'll just make those muscles shorter and tighter and just delay them healing from their problem. If, if they're using that device and the same thing goes with anybody that has like a vulvodynia or interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome, a urinary urgency and frequency, um, no, none of those women should be starting off using an intensity if they have okay. any of those problems, okay. or even any just like chronic like chronic pain in the area. You know even women that have endometriosis, they have chronic pelvic pain. I would not I would not recommend an intensity for them outright. Although I tell a lot of these women I'm like, but when you graduate, I think it's a perfect <laughs> That's your thing. bonus.
0: And <laughs> go buy yourself one. That's I a, mean, it helped me to a lot. Like it helped me strengthen just my. pelvic floor i wasn't exercising as much at the time and it just helped me with a lot like it helped me with orgasm you're all this oh and it definitely does
2: and i've had women that come with diminished orgasm as another diagnosis that i see
0: Yeah, tell me about that let's talk about orgasm so do you have women who like are can orgasm and then you help them get there so
2: it is hard if they (laughs) have anorgasmia meaning they can't orgasm at all that is a challenge and so I have a physician locally that I refer to to have them checked for hormones and to see if there's any deficiency there because women need testosterone too. Yes. So a lot of times they might have some testosterone deficiency and then improving that balance can help bring some of that right. back. But physical therapy alone, it's not gonna be the I've not, not with anorgasmia, I would say... I have not been a miracle worker with that yet, but I'm hoping one day I can well, be. <laughs> I'm sure
0: that there are, maybe they don't tell you this, but I, I can imagine just women becoming more in touch and opening up and then releasing the pain. They're having more.
2: Well, so, and I have, so that <laughs> I'm so
0: glad you mentioned that
2: because I had a woman call me one time and she's like, I can't have orgasms. And you know, this was right when I was talking about the intensity and I was like, oh, I think the intensity is your answer. And, but I'm like, you really should come in. I should evaluate you. And then she came in and it was just normally I do 90 minute evaluations. We just did a quick 60 because she really was only interested in getting the intensity. And then she had pain. She had pain with penetration. And I'm like, that's probably why you're not able to orgasm. Because that pain is overriding that pleasure. And you need to address the pain. And so that particular one, it was like three or four sessions, I hardly saw. And then she bought the intensity and she was good to go. She was so excited. Uh, you know, we spread out her visit. Right, she like money was an issue. And so we need to spread it out. She had her home program she was working on. So in that sense, yes, I could treat anorgasmia <laughs> if pain is right, one of the contributing it. factors. You, um, I have seen a fair amount of diminished orgasms where I think um, the intensity would be very helpful right. because those women typically have a weak pelvic floor that's weak because it it isn't, um like tight it's like just weak weak either
0: atrophy because from disuse or from like post baby yeah let's talk about post that was my next question why is it that women have babies they go home from the hospital and all they say is oh you can have sex in six weeks and then all my friends are calling me going what the hell do i do and or women are emailing me all the time and men are like why can't she have sex it's so misunderstood And it's like, I can imagine how many women you have are like, what's wrong with me? It's like, you had a baby come out of your vagina. Let's just back up. (laughs) I know. Let's settle down. Let's breathe. Like, what can you do to rebuild it again? Yes. That's some trauma.
2: I am. Oh, there's some serious trauma. And even backing up to the pregnancy. Yes. So you carry around this baby for 40 weeks, most people, and that you have a constant strain on your pelvic floor. So you're already just being pregnant, regardless of how you delivery, you're at increased risk for certain things like incontinence. Of course and
0: prolapse and carry 40 pounds you carry or 40 yes. weeks or how many pounds of 40 pounds a 40 pound baby <laughs> but if you're carrying yeah more weight on you and for that long something's yes. gonna happen yeah so that's even just during
2: pregnancy and right. then we have our delivery and there's different ways we can deliver we can deliver vaginally we can deliver via c-section and both also carry their pros their consequence cons. yeah. yeah their pros and cons and their consequences on the pelvic floor so bringing it around to sex, then we can talk about other things after that too, but there was a study that was out a couple of years ago, huge study, over 1,200 women, that was published in an international OBGYN journal. It basically was a survey and asked people like, Do you have painful sex? And when did you first start having painful sex? to kind of break it down simply. And they asked women at different time points, starting at six weeks, you know, three months, six months, going all the way out to eighteen months. So what they found was on a woman's first attempt of intercourse, whether it was at six weeks or six months, it was after sig- childbirth. After childbirth, okay. yeah, six weeks or six months post-birth, that 89% of women had painful sex on, on that yeah. first attempt. Ugh. And it didn't matter the mode of delivery. So if you having a wow. C-section did not make you immune. Okay. And in fact, women that had um, scheduled or emergency sections and also women that had complicated vaginal deliveries, meaning that it wasn't like a natural spontaneous, it was assisted with a vacuum or forceps. Mm. So, you know, sorry for all these people out there that haven't kids yet, but, <laughs> yeah. but these, these things do happen. So the those types actually um, reported higher incidence of pain than women that had the natural delivery wow natural vaginal delivery okay so that was and that was whether the first time was it six weeks or okay. six months okay so their first attempt was painful 89 percent of the women said yes and it almost makes me wonder well i'm sure it was a hundred percent but women maybe some were just like well it's supposed to be that way so they normalized right, exactly. it exactly so they normalized
0: become, so much pain which is another reason why i'm so glad you're here to talk about this day because i think that Women don't have to have pain. Like, you no. don't have to live with any kind of pain, especially this kind of pain during sex, vaginally. There's not a lot of information about it. So, yeah.
2: And in that same study, yeah, 18 my- months later, four out of 10 women were reporting ongoing pain. So this is well after they were done breastfeeding. And so, you know, presumably hormones have stabilized. Okay, what happens when you deliver a baby? Everybody, regardless of how you deliver, you your estrogen drops so that your body can start producing milk to breastfeed. Whether you choose to breastfeed or not, that's what your body's going to go through naturally until you stop that process. Um, so when your estrogen drops, it's the same thing that happens in menopause. You get atrophy tissue which yeah. I hate that word atrophy they really need to think of a new really? term so in my office I prefer to actually say just like tissue thinning tissue irritation so right <laughs> um, and that's what happens when you're low estrogen so some doctors will actually prescribe like an estrace after delivery to help with that but then women don't understand why they're being prescribed so they don't use it right so there's that there's lack no of education like, there's no, no education uh, information and then you know 18 months later when most of these women have Stop breastfeeding for like four to six months prior, still four out of 10 are having pain. So by that point, their hormones should have normalized. What's left? So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that muscle guarding, right? Your muscles guard when when you experience pain. So just because you're done breastfeeding does not mean that your pain will stop. And this is what doctors will say. They're like, oh, just because you're breastfeeding, you know they'll 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 normalize it, but there's other reasons even beyond just that hormonal aspect that can give them that initial pain and then produce that muscle guarding. If they have scar tissue from yeah. an episiotomy, their scar tissue can be painful. Um, or even like a C-section, you know, some people just scar down really bad and their tissue right. becomes tight. And um, s- with C-sections, I see a lot more. Tell um, me, yeah, what do you see? Uh, in addition to the the painful sex, which totally confuses them, like I don't know why I have painful sex. I had a C-section. Like my right. everything's all they right down there. It. Everything's right. all the same down there. Like I don't know why I'm having problems. Like this they is. They don't see the connection. They right. don't see the connection. Um, but I see a lot of like um, urge, um, urge, free, con- urge, urgency, and urge incontinence with them, and the literature supports that too. Whereas with like a vaginal delivery, it's more stress incontinence is okay. a little bit higher incidence. But um, with the urge incontinence, it's an urgency frequency. It's more of like a muscle overactivity issue um, around like the bladder and urethra, and um, and then how that affects the nerves and the signal. That happens between the muscles and the bladder, and how that gets processed in the brain. So, like,
0: what woman wouldn't need this? Like, I feel like. I feel like after childbirth, I know like in France they send you home with something like the control, right? They send you home with like a system, a, a Kegel exercise or something. You know,
2: I, I actually didn't know that, but I do I've know they that. recommend um, about ten to twelve postpartum physical therapy yeah, visits for all women in France. But in I France, didn't know they gave like an I intone, heard of Maybe if your insurance something. probably yeah. makes you pay for, it, but who right. knows?
0: But, but at least they give you something. They talk about it, but here's <laughs> they like do. bye-bye. Here's how you wrap your baby up like a burrito and then leave the hospital. But they don't tell you. Is yes, you still called a burrito wrap. That Oh, friend. swaddle. Yeah, a burrito. I love it. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, but there's nothing about your vagina no, and healing. And, and I just,
2: and I push to like any OBGYN or, or urogynecologist that I meet, but mainly the OBGYNs, cause they're delivering the babies that they should tell patients to come to pelvic PT for three sessions yes. as individualized, like get them full evaluation with some follow up, so they can get a lot of their questions answered because the physicians, they don't have the time and the physicians, honestly, and a lot of people don't know this, but they're given one lump sum, for taking care of a woman during her delivery. And so, you know, they're not going to schedule no, all these like no. mini postpartum visits because they're not getting paid for any of it. And no. it sucks to think of it that way, but you know, they can, they're only one person. They can only see so many people. Like, any ob or practice you go into, how hopping are they? Like, there's people all over the place. It's so, kind of like
0: not stretching after a race. If you're like a marathon runner, like, you know, stretch and you have pain, you're like, what? It's almost like every woman needs this yes.
2: post-care. And it must be just so... Carrying kind of a baby specific. is a marathon, marathon. Delivering no matter how you deliver is a marathon. And, you know, it does, it baffles my mind. And, you know, I'm on a soapbox about this all the time because, you know, if you injure anything else, like, if you hurt your knee, you're going to to go to PT, yeah. just, you know, you just ran a mile and you should have run half a mile and you have tendonitis. They send you to PT, but you push a baby out of your vagina and, and they yeah. like, and it's like pushing a bowling ball out of your vagina. Right. Like there's a whole stress model on the pelvic floor that you can go on YouTube and find on like what is happening and how much like the ligaments and the muscles stretch and no, like you're totally normal after six weeks, right? Like, <sighs> hey, the uterus is back in place why, and there's no infection. Yeah. Why would you be? And there's no attention given to that. And they've done lots of studies on like postpartum women. They've done MR, like MRIs and x-rays and they found pelvic fractures in women after delivering. Yeah. It's like, how are you expected to like care for yourself, much less yourself and a little one, right, when you women. have a fracture in your pelvis and yeah, it hurts to walk? Exactly.
0: Like, and they're just like putting it aside because I got to take care of the baby and my husband. We are yes, so good. Exactly. Caretakers. And there, there was
2: about like four to six weeks ago now, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or ACOG, came out with updated guidelines on um, postpartum care because we are we are last as far as industrialized nations in the world and postpartum care. It's just really sad. You know, Like it we is. there's that one six-week checkup and then boom. Like That's
0: it. Six-week you, you're checkup you're your vagina just ball, yeah, bowling yeah. ball out of your yeah, you're vagina. Cl-
2: you're clear to have sex. Okay, there you go. Six weeks later. Fractured your pelvis. All right, sorry. Right. Right sorry to have sex. In these updated guidelines, it was really great because now they're not just recommending a single six-week encounter. They're recommending multiple encounters postpartum. Um, the first of which should be Within the first three weeks, yeah. and they're looking at different realms like like depression, like screening for postpartum yeah, depression, right you know, away. emotional that don't health. Wait till it happens. Yeah, breastfeeding issues, um, any physical problems. Like are we like care of our women? I feel so, like,
0: what can women do? What should they be looking for? If they can't come see you, not everyone's in LA, but how? I don't know. Are they everywhere? Uh, Public floor therapists? People could pretty much find this, or what? well, I, I wouldn't we're gonna say
2: g- they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we've listeners all over the world yes. too. But yeah, um, but I mean, even in the U.S., I mean, you can get pretty rural, like. Pretty quick and you're not gonna find somebody that's right. maybe well equipped to, to treat. You should all train of these an army. Things. I think we need you to start
0: <laughs> training an army and dispatching them yeah. for every woman.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but but there are a lot and there are resources you can go on and find a local pelvic floor physical therapist like uh pelvicpain.org has okay. a great one and that's international. I can point to pain.org. Okay. Yes. Um, and then the section on women's health for the American Physical Therapy Association also has a database, Um, you know, and and the thing with these databases are you you really just have to be a member to be on it. So it doesn't guarantee that you're getting good care, but at least it guarantees that you're getting someone that's somewhat involved in their profession. So it can be used as a screening tool when you sort of compare that to what you might find on Google using certain search terms. I think it's more... You need to call the office and see if a therapist is willing to talk to you if you have specific questions or concerns. Me or any of my therapists in my office, if someone has questions, we will we are happy to talk to them because like what are you gonna do? You're gonna do what where? Like know, I've been to physical therapy before. They imagine being in like a curtain yeah, gym area. Like right. You're gonna and, take care of this and this yeah, we'll stick just, your finger right. It's yeah. All. And we have private treatment rooms and we really like explain to them the steps of the like intake yeah. and the evaluation process.
0: Okay, now a quick shout out to our sponsors. Thanks for supporting them. And we'll be right back. The other day, my friends at Adam and Eve called to ask me if I wanted to give away free vibrators to my audience. I said no. I'm kidding. Of course I said yes, but only for a very limited time when you use code Emily at AdamandEve.com. They're going to send you a free pocket rocket with your order. Pocket Rockets are great little vibrators. They're perfect for clitoral stimulation alone or with a partner. They're super easy to use and compact enough to stash anywhere. Oh, on top of the free Pocket Rocket, Adam and Eve will also chop 50% off the price of almost any single item and ship the whole order for free. To get in on this deal, just go to adamandeve.com and enter code EMILY at checkout. I suggest you do it before they realize just how many of you are out there. If you've been listening to the podcast, it should come as no surprise that women typically take longer to orgasm than men. This, my friends, is called the orgasm gap. And now there's something you can do about it. There's a topical treatment. It's called Promescent, and it enhances men's ability to last longer. No pills, no prescription, and no questionable claims. Developed by urologists, Promescent isn't your typical delay spray. Instead of simply relying on chemicals that numb everything, it leaves you with plenty of sensation. Enhancing your experience is easy. You just apply it to the underside of the penis before sex. And unlike other products, once Promescent is absorbed, it won't transfer to your partner. It's FDA compliant and clinically proven to help men last up to 64% longer. So give Promeson a try. To learn more or order yours, just go to sexwithemily.com slash enhance. That's sexwithemily.com slash E-N-H-A-N-C-E today. Let's talk about men though, pelvic flourish. I know you do see men. So I what were some of the men. common um, challenges men come to you for? So men, pain, men suffer too. They do they have <laughs> pelvic force too
2: and um, you know with the chronic pain population, the most common diagnosis is something called nonbacterial prostatitis. so they've been ruled out for infection and they're like, Doctors don't know what to do with them. <laughs> Again, okay. like it's, so it's pain like
0: pain in their prostate?
2: Well, or? not just their prostate. So how they can present with um with that or like chronic pelvic pain is rectal pain, perineal pain, like like beneath uh-huh. the scrotum, uh, shaft pain, or they might describe urethral pain. They may describe pain with ejaculation or post-ejaculation, okay. pain at the tip of the penis. Uh, they might also just have, like, groin pain or bladder pain, like suprapubic uh, right. area pain. So all of those are very common presentations. And we we do our intake the same way, same asking kind of about, pain. like, bowel and bladder. Because even though they might have, like, even urinary symptoms, we still have to check their bowel history. Because right. things like constipation can create urinary urgency just from, like, a physical internal pressure. So we don't assume because they have a urinary, pro- like, symptom that their problem is urinary. So we do have to address bowel history as okay. well um, and you know sexual um, dysfunctions if okay. present as well those symptoms and um, when we do the sort of the complete screen what we typically find when we do the internal exam so on men there's only one place we can go with that and I <laughs> right. always tell them like I'm sorry I did not put the muscles there <laughs> right. but this is where we got to go Gotta to treat it. them it's worth it um, they almost always have overactive pelvic floor in the same way so like their later ani muscles and, and it could um, be any
0: age right it doesn't just present as any
2: age oh yeah we have young men like men in their 20s that come in the office God,
0: yeah, and it's and it's so they might go to the urologist. And they're like, I don't know, we're not sure what it is, right? Oh, they've usually seen several doctors.
2: They've been on at least two or three rounds of antibiotics wow. that haven't helped, and that's how it's like ultimately defined as non-bacterial, mm-hmm. um, because they're like, oh, you, it sounds, it's like almost like it sounds like a UTI in women. I'll give you a um, a prescription for antibiotics, and then they they take the culture, and then they call you back and like, oh, it, there was no infection, but and then the antibiotics you know didn't help or sometimes they help a little bit so they get in the cycle of taking antibiotics because of its effect on like reducing inflammation slightly but it never like really ends the cycle what's ultimately their problem is the the overactive muscles and the american urology association which would be that like our our association for, um, you know, the Physician Association in America, I should say. They only changed their guidelines a couple of years ago. In 2015, I believe they came out for treating urinary urgency and frequency and interstitial cystitis, painful bladder syndrome. So all of those things are kind of the same. It's just a spectrum of severity. And this would be for men or women. Let me just tell you, physical therapy, we used to be last before 2015. We used to be a last resort on this flow sheet that had like eight different things. And so many people wouldn't try it, right? Like last resort, like why would I do that? Nothing else worked. Exactly. Um, 2015, we moved up to basically first line treatments. Right up there with behavioral modification, you know, like things that can make you pee a lot, like drinking a lot of alcohol. Don't drink so much alcohol. or, Or coffee or whatever, you know, so sort of basic education things on diet that might contribute, but pelvic floor physical therapy is under first line treatments now because why is something in the 8th position if it was the only thing that worked for people? Exactly
0: thank God. Thank, thank God. God they're recognizing you and all these organizations. And that's
2: 2015 but there's still so many urologists out there that don't know about they their own know. updated guidelines and uh, this is my fear with the OBGYNs and these new guidelines that ACOG just came up with. Like are gynecologists going to all get this information? You know patients always have concerns about insurance reimbursing. Is insurance yes. going to cover this Does Like it? post care. Can, well, that's a new change, yeah. so that remains to be seen. Okay, but I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith
0: in it's insurance true. companies. I either, quite honestly. It's so <laughs> worth it. It's like it's your pelvic floor. It's, your, it's it worth, is it's the kind of thing I always say. If you don't have you know your health, what do you what do you have? So it's yeah. Hopefully, the insurance companies uh, will show up and um, represent. Yeah. So also, I know that you're familiar with transgender pelvic floor help as well. So I don't think a lot of people really understand what what this means and how yeah. you work with people who have.
2: Yeah, and it's pretty exciting, and it's a like a newer field I've been yeah. stepping into, and I've been to You're some- you busy. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I got to know about all things pelvic floor, right? you know, wherever I can. And, and our place, I just really want it to be inclusive to people, regardless of their gender identity, their sexual orientation, like- if somebody is in pain or somebody has incontinence, like I want to be able to help them. No, nothing else matters.
0: Heather Jeffcoat, I'm so glad you're here because this is information is just blowing my mind. I think a lot of my <laughs> listeners too, that were just like, wow, like your gynecologist, urologist, they it's important you see them, but it's not everything. And what you're providing provides so much relief for so many people. And um, I would love it if you could stay and we're going to answer some questions from listeners. Sure. And everyone can find Heather Jeffcoat at feminapt.com and we're gonna have all this in the show notes as well and it's at the lady parts pt on instagram and twitter and facebook.com slash Physical therapy get all in the show notes and we got this email from johnny and i just thought i'm so glad you're coming in because i thought no we can't just do this email for him let's call him and really help him because he's going through a lot right now with his wife and um some challenges she's having Okay, so we have Johnny, he's 25 from South Dakota, and his wife has painful sex but doesn't want any foreplay to warm up. Hey, Johnny, thanks for calling in. You're here with Heather Jeffcoat, and your email just really interested me, and I really thought, God, we could help you here. So can you kind of give us some background, and then we could take it from there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my wife and I got married a couple of years ago, and when we got married, she actually developed a condition called... um, Oh, I forget what it's called. I think it's nutcracker syndrome where her left renal vein is pinched. And I remember there were, it, she was in so much pain for, um, I mean, months and months on end that she could hardly even walk. I mean, I remember pushing her in a grocery cart in the grocery store so that we could be together. So she was in a ton of pain. And every time we tried to have sex sort of so any sort of movement was extremely painful, but every time we tried to have sex, it was it was just that. I mean, she couldn't hardly do anything. And now I think there's so much going on mentally and through past trauma Mm -hmm. that she's had before we were together. Um, I I think something may have happened to where she just doesn't want to, you know, it's so hard for her to have sex without comparing it to the pain that she had before. No, that makes sense. Okay.
0: yeah, Heather, you want to go ahead with this? Any? He, yeah, you're nodding here and yeah. you <laughs> hey, hey,
1: Johnny,
2: it's Heather Jeffcoat. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Good, thank
2: you. Um, so yeah, very interesting history. And so you know, so I have a few questions. First, being so, she no longer has pain with sex. You're saying, or or does she no, have pain? She doesn't have.
1: She doesn't have pain with uh, with what she used to have—the same condition, but. Um, Right. Now it takes it takes a lot longer because I think something mentally where like there have been times where, you know, it's been super hot and we've just had sex and it's been crazy and good and mm. there's been no pain. But then during like the average day isn't usually like that, you know, um, okay and she doesn't want to have any foreplay to, to get it started. And so it just makes it tough. You so know, so and then, then, then she will hurt. Even a little bit. Got it.
2: Oh, I get it. Right. So, so yeah, that's what I was wondering is, is she sort of experiencing ongoing pain? I understand her primary problem resolved, but it sounds like she still has some secondary, maybe like vaginal muscle guarding. And if she's well lubricated, (laughs) then it's not a problem. But if she's not well lubricated, then it becomes painful for her, even a little bit of pain, and she shuts down. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. And we do use lube. Mm-hmm. Um, every time i mean because of this show every single time uh, <laughs> huge fan of lube lube on every yeah. so. yes. nightstand.
2: exactly yeah <laughs> okay I'm with you on yeah, that. yeah. so yeah
1: but there is still pain
2: right right i mean because there's other things that happen during arousal with the vaginal canal so it does lengthen so you know it's not just lubrication that mm-hmm. you're that you're missing out on or that she's missing mm-hmm. out on in that sense so you know one thing it, it sounds like her problem's Probably pretty mild as far as the physical part of it. Cause I, if she can have pain-free sex sometimes, and that's a really good sign that if she maybe addressed the physical component um, just by doing some like simple internal stretching techniques with a dilator and you can find dilate, like if you search dilator kit on Amazon, mm. maybe if she worked with those mm-hmm. for a few weeks and could see that she can have regular uh, penetration with gradually larger sizes that, Maybe, and hopefully the kit is equivalent in the largest size to you, that that might help break down some of her fear around pain with intercourse and like the pain that she's having with penetration, but she shouldn't skip, you know, why she wants to skip foreplay if foreplay is what gets her lubricated and helps her experience less pain or no pain. That part
0: is outside of my scope
2: and perhaps-
0: yeah, I mean if she's had any has she had any therapy around this? Was there any earlier trauma in her life? Did this just Yeah, happen? there yeah. was
1: some major trauma that happened before we were together. Um and we've kinda had to deal with deal with that for a long time and just making sure that she knows that she can trust me and I'm just trying to Okay so show her constantly that I'm safe and yeah. um
0: you're such a good partner to her, it sure. sounds like. You sound, like, really loving uh, and, and really yeah. supportive, Johnny. And it sounds like it's been kind of rough right now. And I'm wondering if she's had any therapy to deal with the trauma.
1: Okay. We've had a bit. Um, not a lot, but... Because
0: mm-hmm. that's what you know, I would I, recommend. I the hardest
1: it, part is financially right now because, we're you know, we're still young. And so right. it costs so much to be able to do stuff like that. And so we we do it when we can. But... You can't get it on a regular schedule. Do you guys have
0: insurance? Because here's the thing. I think for trauma, I mean, untreated trauma will just continue to persist. There's some great therapies for trauma, too, like EMDR is a great therapy Mm -hmm. that can work for people. But I would say if you have health insurance, a lot of plans will pay for 10 to 20 sessions. And if you think about the things you spend money on, I'm a huge advocate of, like, cut back on your Netflix subscription, even though I love Netflix. Like, Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) It literally is going once every few months. It's the kind of thing where she's got to go every week for months maybe even a year but then she's dealing with it now like I'm so glad one of the best things I think I ever did for myself was starting therapy in my 20s and I couldn't believe I had to commit to this one therapist for a year, and I and I did, and I ended up going mm-hmm. for like ten, not just her, fifteen years I was in therapy. <laughs> but the point is, it literally is the best work. And when you've never done it, you don't really get it, and you're like, what am I? Why you know? But if she, this to me sounds like she's doing a lot of the physical things, and Heather certainly has some good advice here. But it's this emotional stuff that no matter how supportive you are, Johnny, she's gonna have to do that on her own without you, probably to start. Yeah. So if you could let them yeah,
1: know. that makes sense. I and I know we've actually tried the dilators before. Okay, um, okay, good. And we went to a therapist for it actually, and she said that there was three centers where the pain could be, and um, it was in all three. And so
2: okay, you know, yeah. there's which were what were yeah. the three I don't areas? Know, I Are you talk- Yeah, do what? you remember the three areas? Like were I, they all in the I pelvic floor or?
1: I I think so. Um, Okay. So it's hard hard to remember because that was mm -hmm. like six months to a year ago. Okay. Okay.
2: And, you know, and also, so was this a pelvic floor physical therapist that you saw or a different type of
1: therapist? Because there's different
2: ways to teach how to use the dilators too. So can you tell me briefly how she was using them? Was she just inserting them and holding them for a certain amount of time and then removing it? Or was there more to it than that?
1: So it was pretty simple. It was where she would just work her way up from small to the um, larger ones, and then um, it would just kind of sit in there. And I think she would practice uh, Kegels and just like squeezing and trying Mm. to compress against against the dilators. Okay. So So, so, Heather's
0: nodding here. Yeah, I'm nodding
2: and I'm shaking. I'm shaking, nodding. (laughs) Um, So so that actually that protocol goes against what I think works Mm. best for somebody that has painful intercourse. It's more of a, like a desensitization program. And I don't think that her problem is probably like her nerves over firing that need to be desensitized. She probably has, from what it sounds like, you know, part of this past trauma, you can get muscle shortening and muscle guarding, but also this pain that she had in the area where you had to wheel her around. Um, you can get muscle guarding. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when you have pain in an area, muscles guard. And we talked about that earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. And so you have to approach them like muscles that are guarding or in spasm. And how would that be treated? So think about physical therapy, anywhere else in your body, like your neck, if your neck is in spasm, you don't, stretch your neck and hold it for 10 minutes right that actually makes Mm -hmm. the tightening and the guarding worse it makes the muscles more sore so you have to approach it more like how you would treat a muscle that's guarding in that way and so I have like a completely different program and how to use the dilators it's not like starting with one and going up to the largest size all within a session and holding them for several minutes it's doing stretches and um, internal stretching techniques and then there's like
0: more to it with progressing to larger sizes so could that's something that Johnny means mm-hmm. in South Dakota, but, but could he, how about your, when your book would that be helpful? Sex without pain or right. anything on your website? Would
2: yeah, exactly. And okay. so, so my book, the, one of the main reasons I wrote it was to increase accessibility of this information to people when they're in areas that one, either don't have access to that type of care or two financially can't afford it. Cause even if
0: you're in, please we send says, Johnny a book? My, my treat. Sure. Let's send jo- yeah, okay. Johnny, can something. we get your address? We're going to send you a book. Because I think that would help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
0: great. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Was that so? I didn't mean to cut but I think that could be helpful because I, I I love that he brought this up, that Johnny, yes. that you've been doing it maybe the wrong way, and, and Heather's like a, a specialist here. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And she's an expert.
1: awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's the thing with this type of pain, and people are like, "Oh yeah, I've tried dilators before." I'm always like, "Well, how
0: did you?" Yeah, try them? it's so because true. It's so nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay, Johnny, mm-hmm. we you know, we're gonna send you a book. We're gonna get your address, um, and I hope this was helpful to you. So will you let us know how it goes, and kind of look it really was
1: yeah thank you okay no
0: thank you honey thank you we're thinking about you thanks for calling in johnny have a great night bye this is from jamie 35 in pennsylvania dear emily i had twins via c section and then i had a baby boy delivered vaginally with a fourth degree tear he is now nine months and the twins are two My sex life is awful. My husband has been really upset with me and thinks I don't want to be intimate with him. But the truth is, every time it really hurts. So much it makes me completely tense and I want to stop. It hurts afterwards too when I have to urinate as well. I just want us to have good sex again. I'd do anything at this point because it would save our marriage. Okay, thanks, Jamie. I think clearly she has to communicate, you know, to her husband that she still loves him. She's still attracted to him. It's not about him, but he has to understand that he's, you know, she's in a lot of pain and and he's feeling unappreciated and obviously loves her, wants to help her, but this just sounds like, you know, she's doesn't know what to do. Her vagina has been through trauma. This sounds like serious trauma. I'm like yeah. So I, I experienced a little secondhand here yeah, listening to this. So
2: I'd want to know from her if she's still breastfeeding because then she has lower estrogen she might want to ask her doctor for a prescription of estrace or okay. something to help restore some of that estrogen in the area which will help plump up the tissue, make it less irritated. Those things we talked about okay. at the beginning of the show. And um, if she isn't breastfeeding she still might have experienced pain early on. She might have some that muscle guarding. So she should try to, you know, get a pack of dilators, my book, try that program, see if it helps or find a local pelvic floor physical therapist. So everything we've talked about, don't just stick to going to the gynecologist. No, and then also on top of that, she's got little ones and she's probably sleep deprived. So sleep makes every negative sensation more heightened and so even a little bit of discomfort your body will take in is just like that much more pain and discomfort so you know hopefully he's being supportive and you know helping with the the child care duties and I always encourage all my patients whether they have kids or not with their partners to you know what what can your partner kind of do like while you're using the dilators maybe can they like cook or maybe right. even just order out and go pick up the food exactly. so you can like do your dives or like take the kids out of the house for 30 minutes and i know that's not the way you want to spend your 30 minutes of free time but you know it's a short-term commitment for a
0: long-term for a like long, a huge long-term exactly. benefit what i love about your book sex without pain you guys it's not like a massive novel that you have to cut through here i looked at it i'm already like there's a great picture it's about 100, <laughs> 100 pages 100 pages yeah. and it looks like there's so much in here that can truly help people with sex without pain Okay, thank you. Let's go on to it. So Jamie, yeah, I think you got to communicate to him. And it sounds like you, you, I mean, nine months, the twins, a lot of stress going on in your relationship, but this has to be a priority. And just explain to him that you're doing everything you can and if he can support you.
2: Yeah, and you lube. Lots of lube. Lots of lube. <laughs> I love lube.
0: Okay, so we've got one more. Um, this is Sarah, 24, Virginia. Dear Emily, I have a question about masturbation. After clitoral masturbation, is it normal to be experienced what feels like menstrual cramps? They don't last for long but can be kind of painful. I love the podcast. It's become part of my weekly listening. Thanks in advance. I've heard this before. I've heard women say I've got pain and cramps after um, masturbation. What do you think?
2: So I am so glad that this question was asked because we didn't touch on it I during know. our Wait. main talk. So um, you know you have the different stages of arousal and your pelvic floor muscles are involved through arousal, excitement, plateau, orgasm. Your pelvic floor muscles are involved every step of the way. If they're overactive and they, they don't relax well, it can produce a cramping sensation in the pelvic area. It can feel like uterine cramping, maybe low back pain. So... I mean, it could be a sign of a high tone pelvic floor. I would also want to ask her, do you have any other symptoms like constipation? Do you have urinary frequency or pain with urination or feeling like after you pee, you still have to go pee? Like I have so many more questions for her beyond just that because she might have normalized all these other things, Exactly, she's like, do this, but, but this dysorgasmia thing, she's like, oh, this is not normal, but she might have all these other components too
0: that I would want to know about, but it could definitely be a sign of a overactive pelvic floor. Okay, that is, um yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I think what I'm trying to drive home here today with Heather is that a lot of people, men and women, we normalize pain. And right. we don't even remember that that was painful because we're like, oh, I always have a cramp after I orgasm. No, that is not normal, no. you guys. You don't have to live with that. So she kind of undo this. Um, getting some help? seeing a doctor that's not her gynecologist pelvic floor is there anyone I mean and I feel like you're the one who would know you and a pelvic floor specialist I mean sometimes I feel that way
2: I kind of like do coordinate the care yeah for a lot of patients because like they might be sent from their OBGYN or they might be self-referred and I just make their OBGYN sign off that they don't have an infection so I so that I know I can that that's been ruled out and then I have to go back to the gynecologist and say well you know do you think like maybe a suppository like a muscle relaxant with a suppository might benefit this Mm -hmm person you know I'm not a physician so I right. can't say oh you should prescribe this I can just be like well maybe do you think this is what I found you know I try to like play the you know right. like professional walk that professional line and but I do help coordinate care and make other referrals to other providers whether it be like a like a psychotherapist that may help them or a sex therapist right. or a urogynecologist it's a village. If, they need, it all. If, if they need an injection we didn't even talk about injections in the pelvic floor
0: yeah Another time, maybe. yeah, yeah, like the, like the injections, like um for pain or like the O shot, P shot. Do you know about those? The- yes, but
2: I'm talking about for pain, for so pain. Botox in the pelvic floor or like a lidocaine derivative um in the pelvic floor to help with pain and trigger points. Wow, another- I've heard about some of this
0: stuff. Okay, yeah. God, there's so much. You have to. Come. I feel like we could do another show. I feel like you should. You guys, let me know. Um, If you have other questions, I think we could set up a whole other show because Heather's actually near me here in Los Angeles. Thank you so much, Heather Jeffcoat. I think that this has been fascinating. and I think we're just scratching the surface here of what you can do. So is there any last people can find you so it's not going to be all on the website, feminapt.com and your books. and
2: Yeah, and the, the books are on Amazon if you want to print or if you want a PDF immediately. You can't wait oh. those two days. You can go to sexwithoutpainbook.com okay. and get a PDF download immediately. Amazing. For 20 bucks. So. Okay, great.
0: And we'll have this all in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this was great. And thank you everybody for listening to the show. Let me know what you think. If you've got questions, if you want to hear more guest shows, more emails, I'd love to hear from you guys. Just thank you all. And thanks to my amazing team, Ken, Volunteer, Sarah, Producer, Jamie, and Michael. Was it good for you? Email me, feedback at sexwithemily.com. I know I talk a lot about sex toys for women, but not to worry, guys. Let me give you a helping hand. Well, actually, you're going to have to use your hand or your partner's hand. But let me tell you about the new Flesh Skin from Fleshlight. The Flesh Skin is a compact stroker unlike any other. It's open at both ends and has finger holes for the perfect grip. So whether you're using it on your own or letting your partner do the heavy lifting, it's the perfect addition to your bedroom activities. The combination of the comfortable grip, the ability to vary the pressure, and Fleshlight's ultra-realistic silicone will let you in on all the sex toy fun. Just grab some water-based lube and use the Flesh Skin to add a whole new range of sensations to your pleasure. Get a better grip with the flesh skin. Just visit sexwithemily.com slash fleshlight. That's sexwithemily.com slash fleshlight to order your flesh skin today.